0: in the studio today david and i have lawrence pitt the director of outbound product management for our zenworks configuration management product welcome
1: Welcome. thank you very much i think we
2: should probably start by saying that Only you and I will be able to understand each other. Randy's going to have a little problem there, is that
1: right? (laughs) Yes, yes, I would have thought so, definitely.
0: Maybe you two can speak, and David, you and I have known each other well enough that maybe I can translate after the fact then.
2: We'll we'll give that a go. Okay. Lawrence, we're here to talk about Zenworks Configuration Management 10.1, the release of which is imminent. Give us the overview.
1: This is the next version of Zenworks Configuration Management and builds on the version of the product that we released last year and we have a number of new enhancements and features into this version of the product, which I'm sure people are going to want to use. And the areas that we've really focused on here are around enterprise scale in the product and making it so that this version of the product will actually move to environments that we can cope with maybe 40,000 users at the scale, whereas the previous version of the product was targeted into into environments of around 10,000 users. We will also be supporting the new Microsoft platform, so we will have support for Windows 2008 server, Windows XP Service Pack 3, Windows Vista Service Pack 1. So we'll take on those new versions, as well as supporting SLES and OES with Service Pack 2, which has just been released as well.
2: So what's the scope of configuration that you can manage on a platform like Windows Server?
1: This product builds on what we had before with Zenware's desktop management. The difference here is what we've done is we've stepped back and we've made our product more agnostic in the way that it works. We no longer have a reliance on a directory. We will talk to any directory that's out there, so we can talk to an e-directory, we can talk to active directory just as happily with the product.
0: Via LDAP, or is it just standard, is it customized directory calls for that base directory? No,
1: it's pure LDAP. That's the simplest way for us to do things. Nice. And we also only require very, very basic access. So read-only is enough for us to access the directory and do what we need to do. We don't make any changes on the backend directory at all. All of the changes are made in the database that we use with the product. That's awesome. We'd be
2: led to believe, then, that that allows you to monitor configuration, but not change it. Read-only, can we manage configuration on our Yes, we
1: can entirely manage the configuration because we have our own database. So what we do is we access the for the sake of argument e-directory and we make unique identifiers for all the objects that we're going to manage within that directory we then reference them into our database any changes that are made we make the changes on our database rather than the back-end directory
0: so then changes that are made on the back-end side in the LDAP directory, are those then replicated forward into the database? Do we do some sort of interval checking?
1: We check instantly. So if a user in the back-end directory is moved, if a new group is created, if a container is moved, that is reflected instantly in ZMOS Configuration Management. And if you were using the management tool at that point and you refreshed, you would see that change being reflected.
2: That tells us a little bit about the back-end, but what are the front-end tools like? How do I manage a 40,000-node network?
1: OK, so that's, a, that's actually a very good question, because one of the major enhancements here is, is for scale. So how do we manage that, and what have we introduced to help with managing that? As an administrator, the first thing you'll see is the ZCC. That's the command console for the product, and that's where you do all of your work.
2: For anyone in America, ZCC is ZCC.
1: Oh, thank you, that would be ZCC.
2: Now you understand, Randy. Appreciate that. Sorry, Lawrence, go ahead. I'll
1: go back to talking about the ZCC. That's our web services console. Everything is represented in here. Workstations, servers, user objects, applications, policies, everything. The objects that you're actually managing are managed using an agent, so we deploy an agent to each managed device and that's how that device is referenced. And that's
2: how we get round the the point you made about reading the directory on that host in a read-only configuration, but we can still make configuration changes via the agent rather than via that host's directory. Exactly,
1: that's correct. So all of our changes are controlled by the agent, everything is managed in the console, any changes that we make are referenced and recorded into the database or into the file story that we have on the Zenworks configuration management server itself.
2: And I imagine that's going to give us great consistency in that you have one management interface under the covers to an agent running on multiple host platforms. But it doesn't matter what that host's actual management
1: facilities are like. That's correct. So this has been one of our targets for the product, which is to move towards having a single management console for our products. So today with Zenworks Configuration Management, you have the configuration management piece, you have asset management, you have patch management, all within a single console, all managed from one place using familiar tools and using the same interface for everything. Moving that, how do we do that with the enterprise and how do we manage the enterprise, we specifically introduced some new features into 10.1 version of the product, which allow us to manage an enterprise. Now, if you look at a straight enterprise, it will tend to be a flat way of doing things. What we need to have is a hierarchy that allows us to offset load and allows us to manage things in a way that we can say this server is actually over here and it's slow and this server is very fast and these servers are all connected together. So one of the new features we've introduced into Zenworks Configuration Management 10.1 is the satellite server. The satellite server is actually a remote node which will offset most of the functions of a primary server. Now the primary server sits at the center of the configuration and is directly connected to the database. Hub and spoke. Exactly. The satellite server comes from the primary server, does most of the work of a primary server, but could sit anywhere on the network. So it could be sat on a slow link, it could be sharing the load on a fast link, it doesn't matter where you want to put it. One of the nice things about the satellite server is it is an agent-based technology. So there is no need to actually put a CD in and specifically deploy a satellite server into the environment. Once you've deployed an agent to a device, you can just turn that device on and make it a satellite at any point that you want to. From that point on, it is a satellite device.
2: Uh What platforms can I use for that?
1: Today, we're supporting any Windows platform as a satellite.
2: And if I have 40,000 nodes, I think someone's still going to want to know, do I have to make 40,000 configuration changes, or is there some kind of grouping that I can use?
1: You can group in pretty much any way you want to. You can make a change at a single point. You can make changes that will flow down. You can create server groups. You can group based on a container with a number of objects inside it. And you can apply configuration at any point as well. So configuration can be applied at the very top of a hierarchy, right the way down to applying it at the individual node or the individual object, totally down to how you want to manage your environment.
2: And can I make a configuration change on a server that flows down to workstations when they attach?
1: If the workstations are valid for that change, then they will receive it. So if you have a satellite device or you have a primary server device and it receives a policy or application change, when the workstations log in, If they need that change, they will get it. Everything is done based on us having an understanding of what the connected operating system is and knowing whether a change needs to be applied to that particular operating system.
2: Now, we heard about the number of nodes that you can manage being very scalable. What about the number of configuration items that we can manage? When you have 40,000 nodes on a network, there's going to be a lot of things that you need to configure. Do we scale broad as well as deep?
1: Well, this is why... Zenworks is renowned for the way that we configure and this goes partly back to the last answer where we're saying we can apply these changes at any level so we can create one configuration change which would apply to all 40,000 objects or 40,000 different configuration changes which apply to 40,000 different configuration objects so we have the granularity of configuration for you to make the decision on how you want to manage that And it it isn't uncommon for us to find environments where customers do have tens of thousands of different configuration items that they are managing, everything from policies to application objects to images.
2: So we're not just talking about login account names?
1: No, we're way beyond just login account names. We're into the whole experience of the desktop here, the whole experience of the server, everything being controlled from the product. You can change my desktop image? I can change your desktop image. I can change your start menu. I can prevent you turning your computer off. I could prevent you turning it on if I wanted to. (laughs) That's a
0: good one. Probably a (laughs) good thing in my case. No, you turn it on on the weekend. You mentioned changes in the scalability of this product. Our previous release could handle up to 10,000 objects, and now we're up to 40,000. What sort of changes had to be made architecturally under the covers?
1: Apart from introducing the satellite to allow us to broaden our scale, the other things that we've introduced are support for Oracle as a database, for example. And Oracle is known to be a very, very scalable database platform. If we're talking about a database that has 40,000 objects in it, that number of objects, once you start to take that to workstations and users and applications, could move beyond the hundreds of thousands of objects. So we need to have a database platform that can support that level. So not only are we supporting SQL, but we're supporting Oracle for customers.
2: So the fundamental architectural feature that gives us that scalability is the underlying database technology.
1: Well, the database helps with that. The database will help performance when you want to make changes or when people want to access things. Other things we have introduced are support for layer 4 switching. We can load balance across a number of servers by fronting with a layer 4 switch. Again, that's going to increase performance. We've also introduced new groupings and control for groupings. So where we have the satellites that have been deployed, we can say how we're going to use those satellites. So, for example, if we have multiple satellites on one site, We can say what content exists on each satellite, who accesses each satellite. We can even make the decision that certain satellites are unavailable at certain times or only available at certain times during the day to control performance locally or across a slow link or for a number of users.
2: So we deploy multiple satellite servers in a typical environment that
1: big? In a typical environment of around 40,000 users, you would expect to have quite a large number of satellite servers. This is, again, a benefit of them being agent-based. Would
2: you expect those to be site-located, or could they be central, or just randomly distributed even?
1: It would be a design decision on where you put them. We don't force you to put them anywhere. The decision is going to come down to where do you need the performance, and so that's where you would turn on the satellite at that point. The other time you may want to do it is if you have a need to get something out fast. So if you had a site where you needed to get an update out very, very quickly, but you had a large number of nodes to get it out to, you may want to enable a satellite on that site, get the update there, and then have the workstations update from that satellite as a one-off process. Then turn it off when you're finished.
0: And because it's really just part of the agent that could be on, for example, a Windows server or a Windows desktop at that site, there's no need to go out and have somebody actually set up a physical device, correct?
1: That's correct. You can turn it on from the console. So you go into ZCC, you go to the device, and you enable it as a satellite. Yeah. And then when you're finished with it, you disable it.
0: Now, I picture this kind of mentality as sort of a, a replicated, you know, distributed network type mentality. It's something that we've been using on the eDirectory side for years. Do we have the redundancy and the failover that's available with eDirectory and so forth also available with the satellite servers?
1: If a satellite server fails, then a device would automatically connect to the next device it knows about within the hierarchy. Okay. If there were multiple satellites deployed to that site, it could go to another satellite. If there was a server over a link, it may move up a step in the link. You can also configure that so you can enforce a decision about where a device goes next rather than have it just connect to the next one it finds. So, yes.
2: It's one thing to have a 40,000 user network. It's another thing to manage that. Even if we've made that easier, even if we've made that more scalable, how many administrators do I need to manage that?
1: Okay, so the question really is not so much how many administrators, but how do you define those administrators? An administrator, by default, is somebody who can do something of great power in your environment. <laughs> now, what we don't want is to have 400 people all logging in as administrator with high-level admin rights over this environment.
2: That's one of the fundamental architectural problems in some platforms.
1: Exactly. So one of the features we've introduced in Zemmux Configuration Management 10.1 is role-based administration. Now, on the one side, what this allows us to do is to select users in the authoritative directory, active directory or eDirectory, directory and apply those to a role within ZMWX configuration management which defines what they can do. So they may be application administrators, they may be policy administrators, or they may be full global administrators.
2: So someone in a remote office can be given individual management rights for that location?
1: Correct. So somebody in a remote office who is an administrator in a large environment, what you don't need is for them to be sending requests back to the central office, which take two days to be actioned, Absolutely. and then get updated. What we can do is we can give them the rights to administer and modify the objects that relate only to their part of the environment. They can then apply changes, and they can manage that effectively.
0: What about updates? Can I imagine sort of this waterfall effect of you know things being updated at the central server and then being waterfalled out to the remote sites?
1: Yes, you can, in short. So... Another big enhancement, and this is something that anybody listening to this podcast is going to like, is the system update process within Zenworks Configuration Management has been entirely reworked. So, system update now is done in such a way that we can host multiple updates centrally, and the way that we deliver our updates is very much more efficient. Now, when we release an update to the product, and we have two types of update. We have system updates, which are released fairly regularly, and will tend to be bug fixes to the product or minor enhancements to the product. We then have the full product release type updates which is what we're talking about here with version 10.1 of the product. All of those can be released using online update which is built into the server. The server will recognize there's an update. It's then down to the administrator to go to the server, authorize that update and have it downloaded. Once it's on the server, he can decide how that gets applied to the network. So it can be scheduled. It can be scheduled in a very granular way. So your comment about the waterfall effect. Let's be honest, 40,000 user environment, quite a lot of servers. We really don't want a waterfall effect of update going out <laughs> to everybody in that network. why so not in one day. Exactly. <laughs> so what we have is staging groups. So we create staging groups. We have a staging group for the servers, for example. Then we may look at the users and break them up into 20 or 30 separate staging groups. Each staging group will run, the next one only runs when the first one is successfully completed. So we have a very, very granular level of control over how we apply these updates across the network.
2: And in fact, you could go the other way. You could take your remotest, least important office, start the updates there, and if they work, start moving more centrally.
1: That's probably the safest and least (laughs) career-limiting way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let that poor guy that's out there in the middle of Kansas somewhere be the one to receive the update and determine, hey, this works or this doesn't work.
2: What have you got against Kansas, Randy?
0: No, I don't have anything against Kansas. I just feel sorry for the poor guy out in the middle of Kansas somewhere who happens to get the first and only update, and he's the tester.
2: His network breaks down. Exactly. And you can use the same sort of method with patch updates to the platforms that you're actually managing?
1: We have patch management within, SEMUX configuration management 10.1, and the control and the console for that has been enhanced within this release of the product. But the ability is fully there to create groups of workstations and make decisions on how and when patches get applied. And that can be everything from the, the minor, or not so minor, Patch Tuesday Microsoft updates, or the latest version of Adobe Flash, right through to Windows XP Service Pack 3 or Vista Service Pack 1 although if I'm being honest from a design point of view at the point where you have a Service Pack update like Service Pack 1 it is a decision then whether you should actually be looking to deploy a new base operating system build rather than looking to deploy that as a patch update because it's so major to what you're doing.
2: Okay. What's that like for me as an end user? Suddenly my workstation's taken over and I'm getting a service pack installed for the next two hours?
1: Yeah, well, that's really the point with the service pack. Why I would not recommend that you do a full service pack. You review whether you want to do a new image at that point purely because of the amount of time it takes. The product itself is very capable of doing that delivery, but the user will be sitting there watching install screens and reboots for, like you say, two hours while it's happening, whereas the re-imaging process may only take fifteen or twenty minutes.
2: What about my power users? I get a bunch of people who are developers, they're weirdos. They don't like to take too much of the central environment, but they do need some management.
1: The power users would have already been defined within your authoritative directory to have rights over their workstations. What we're then doing is delivering an agent that enables them to install and run the applications that they need, but ensuring that you still have central control over the configuration and the licensing and the delivery of those applications to make sure that they remain supportable in the organisation.
2: So those users can choose what it is they install and, and use, but don't have things imposed on them so much?
1: Yes, that's quite correct. That's that's the whole point with the granularity of management within the system. You don't have to decide that everybody gets the same. Everybody can be entirely different if that's how you would like it to be.
0: You referred to imaging. I imagine there are some enhancements that have been made there as well?
1: Yes, so we are now supporting the new Windows imaging within Zenworks Configuration Management. We have extensions that will allow us in the future to support other third-party imaging, and this is the first version of that that we're working down. Obviously, that will assist greatly for customers who want to look at deploying Vista to their environment because that's the preferred way for Microsoft to deploy that operating system. Sure.
2: Everybody loves virtual machine environments. Now, does ZenWorks Configuration Management support or handle those?
1: Yes. So, with ZenWorks Configuration Management 10.1, we will now support the server running on an XEN hosted environment. So, if you are running SLES and you have XEN and you wish to install either on a SLES or a Windows hosted server, We will support that as if it was a physical host.
2: And you mean by support that I can call up to Novell Support and they are not going to say, sorry, put it on a real box?
1: No, we've put a lot of work into testing our product running in those virtualized environments to ensure that it does what it should do and that NTS can support that correctly.
2: That's great. So what if I've been a Zen customer in the past, I haven't upgraded for a long time, but 10.1 sounds great for me, and I want to upgrade.
1: If you're an existing Zenworks 7 customer and you want to move to Zenworks Configuration Management, we do have a tool which will assist you to do that. And it is a very, very powerful tool and very flexible as well. So it will move applications, it will move settings, it will move policies, it will move workstation objects, and it will allow you to migrate those between your old and your new Zenworks Configuration Management environment. Now what's nice about this tool is firstly, it will take old settings, it will take legacy applications and it will move them to how they now exist in the new version of the product. An example of this is if you have legacy Zenworks application objects, which we refer to as the AOT objects, it will take those and it will turn them into MSI objects. So they will become MSIs within Zenworks configuration management. Another nice feature of this is that it is non-touch. So it reads the existing environment recreates and moves to the new environment. This means that when you're in that complicated migration phase of how do we support both environments, how do we know who's doing what, you can actually run them as dual environments and then just upgrade by rerunning the migration tool periodically until you have everybody switched over. The only way that a user would know anything had changed would be because the color of the Zenworks icon (laughs) in their taskbar had gone from red to blue.
2: That's not the only migration technology there. I can do migration upgrades on my end users.
1: So are we talking operating system upgrades here? Absolutely. Yeah, so this is very key for us at the moment. We are starting to see the take-up for customers who want to move between Windows XP and Windows Vista. I don't know if you're aware, but Microsoft actually stopped shipping the Windows XP OEM version on the 30th of June 2008.
2: And that's the only version you can currently buy?
1: That's the only version you would buy for a corporate. So customers then will be moving to Vista. There will be almost forced to move to Vista in a lot of cases. We have a tool within our product which will support you in moving to Vista.
0: Well, Lawrence Pitt, Director of Outbound Product Management for Zenworks Configuration Management here at Novell, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. No, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International as well as Novell Incorporated. Most of our content is directed by our listener community, so please send us your feedback by email at openaudio at novell.com or by leaving comments on our website at novell.com openaudio. That's it for this time. Have a good one.